0: Welcome to this GemTrain.org presentation, where you will be able to enjoy some wonderful free content that we sincerely hope will help you overcome the challenges of autism. Some content from this presentation is not included here, but the entire presentation is available on our website, GemTrain.org.
1: I'm Genevieve Gribble. I'm an estate planning attorney. I do, I have an emphasis in my estate planning practice on special needs planning. I also do special education advocacy. So I interview with, I interface with parents of children with special needs and school districts to make sure that the children with special needs are getting the the services that they need. So I'm gonna talk today about a couple of things that have to do with special education advocacy. I'm gonna go over some laws that are really helpful for parents. This is going to be primarily from a standpoint of how can we help parents interface with with their school districts and their schools um, to be able to get the best outcome for their children with special needs. So we're gonna go over a variety of, of approaches and best practices. We'll discuss the law, probably not in really, really a ton of detail, but we are going to go over a couple of the laws and especially some of the the language that is important for parents to know. In my practice, I see a variety of scenarios. I am very, uh, very familiar with the scenario of a man who did not have anybody to advocate for him while he was growing up. He actually graduated from high school without knowing how to read. He's in his 40s now and he has very bad outcomes. Part of this was because his parents did not know how to advocate for him. And part of it was because this was a number of years ago before IDEA and he didn't have rights that that are now available. So it's important for parents to understand the law when they go in and they interface with school districts and schools and educators, it's important for them to know the rights that they have and that their children have, so so that their child can have the best outcome. So, probably about ten years ago, I had uh, I have a nephew with autism, and his mom came to me and said, "I want my son." He had been in the special the special. Uh, special kindergarten at the school district rather than going to the regular neighborhood school and He's a child with autism. So My sister wanted him to go to the neighborhood school for first grade She went to a placement meeting and the school district told her no He doesn't get to go to the neighborhood school. We're going to bus him five miles away to a different school and He's going to we have classes there for him this was very disturbing for my sister and actually for all of our family. And she came to me and she said, Genevieve, you're an attorney. You get my son into the neighborhood school. I was totally <laughs> taken aback. I was so scared. I told her, "I this is not my my practice area. I do estate planning. But she was very insistent and I love my, na- my nephew very much. And so I decided to do this. So I... I went and got good information. I talked to an attorney who was an expert in education law. He gave me a crash course in what I needed to do. I also ended up having a, a client at that time who she was an estate planning client, but she had recently retired from the same school district after 17 years there as a special education teacher and she gave me a lot of really good information and some of that i'll actually share a little later in our in this presentation so talking with with these mentors and then you know looking up the law i went to some meetings and i was able to get my nephew into the neighborhood school and it was quite a process now after it ended and this, was, this took place over a, an April and a May. We were at a position where we knew that, that he would be at the school. In August, right a couple of weeks before school started, we got a call from the facilitator at the school. And she said, I've attended a two-day legal conference. And now I know that your nephew does not qualify for certain services. <laughs> and so now, of course, as an attorney, this was... You know, I felt like saying to her, well, why don't you attend law school for three years and do the kind of study that I've had to do to be able to, you know, be an attorney. But anyway, this was a really scary moment because we felt like, you know, my nephew's not going to get the services that he needs even though he qualifies for them. So I had to write a letter and as an estate planning attorney, I don't do a lot of confrontation. And I think about this as how parents really are. Parents, most of us do not want to confront people. It can be very scary to go in and have a meeting in a principal's office. I mean that's what you avoid as a child is going to the principal's office. The first time I went to have an IEP meeting it was the principal's office. I was absolutely intimidated. I'm a grown-up and I'm a, an attorney but it was still scary. So I had to so anyway, going back to this, but I, I had to write a letter to the school district as an attorney that was very confrontational, where I started off, my name is Genevieve Gribble, I'm an attorney, I represent this individual, and then put forth the law and what we expected to have happen with my nephew. It was a very scary day. It was a Friday, and I spent all day writing one letter, one email, I sent that off about 4.30 and I felt very good about what I'd written. But as soon as I sent it off, I felt so scared, intimidated, worried. I kept thinking the entire school district is going to know my name and they're going to say Genevieve Gribble is not a nice person. She wrote a confrontational letter. (laughs) They're all going to hate me. Okay, And I think about this. This is how these are things that can come to your mind as a parent when you're trying to advocate. People are going to know who I am. Most of us really don't care to have everybody know us. Um, But anyway, I still, I kept on worrying the next morning, woke up early Saturday morning, worrying, worrying, worrying. As I sat thinking about it and worrying about people disliking me, I had this impression come over me, which was, this is not about you. This is not about your ego. This is about your nephew. And if you do not speak for him, he will never be heard. At that point, I felt a change in myself and in my motivation. It stopped being about me. It stopped being about people maybe hating me or people disliking me, people talking about me badly. And it turned into this child has to have somebody step up and speak. And I am that person and I am determined to do it. And since that point, and I always call it anteing up because it <laughs> his aunt, So I antied up. And I went in and and whenever I feel intimidated, I remind myself of what my bottom line is. If I don't say something, if I don't do something, there is a child with special needs who is going to go without. They will not be heard. They will have a bad outcome. And I'm the person who can make the difference. The beginning is usually understanding or, or thinking that your child has a disability or has an issue at school once you recognize that or and it may even be that the school will there are many different scenarios maybe the school is reaching out to you saying we would like to evaluate your child we think there's a problem so you once you get an evaluation done and you know where you are then you're going to and there are a lot of different scenarios i'm thinking let's say that let's say we have a scenario where your child has a diagnosis and your child has an IEP. An IEP is an individualized education plan, and it actually comes under the law, the IDEA, it is the, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. And so it's an individual plan for how your child is going to receive special education services. There are two different, there are a number of different laws that, that we look at, when we're advocating for our kids, the school district may encourage you to have a 504 plan. They may encourage you to have an IEP. So the 504 plan is something that falls under the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. The IEP falls under the IDEA, which is the more modern law. There are differences between there are similarities and differences between IDEA and 504. The main thing that that parents should take away about the differences are parents' rights. There are these, you know, various differences, but the biggest difference is the fact that under IDEA, parents have rights, okay? Before IDEA, parents could sue on behalf of their child, but they didn't have a right to sue on their own. They had to do it on behalf of their child. But Congress recognized in the 90s, they recognized that parents have a vested interest in their children's education. And they decided to put it into law that you know this vested interest was going to be recognized in law. So when you have a 504 plan meeting, parents don't necessarily have to be part of that 504 plan meeting. It really just depends on the school district and what they've decided. They don't have to really notify you or have you, you don't have to, they don't have to give you the ability to be a decision maker in a 504 plan. In an IEP, it's completely different. You are a vital member. As a parent, you're a vital member of the IEP team. They can't have a meeting without you. They just, they have to have you present and your, you know, your advice and your ideas have to be taken into account. So for me, my perception is it is about parents' rights. That's the biggest, the biggest difference between those two laws. So now I'm going to talk about the squishy science of special education advocacy. Now I got this term from my first mentor in this area of of legal practice and he my my mentor was a long time uh, special education advocate and he would say to me this is a squishy science this is not there isn't a bright line rule there's this is about and it's a squishy science because you're dealing with people and you're dealing with personalities part of the reason why special education advocacy is a squishy science is because it involves school districts which can take on a life of their own school districts have lots of different policies and teachers have policies there's all sorts of policies and then there's laws and sometimes these policies will conflict with the law and it can be a bit tricky to get people from the school district to back down from their policies in preference to the law, okay? And there are, there's funny things that can happen. For example, there's a term in special education that is its least restrictive environment. So in one particular school district, I started hearing the term most restrictive environment. I talked about this with my mentor and he told me Genevieve, you do realize that there is no most restrictive environment. That's, we think of things have to have their opposites. So we think least restrictive environment, there's that, that's a legal term. There must be this opposite, which is most restrictive environment. That's actually not true. There doesn't have to be a, an opposite legal term. There's just least restrictive environment. But the school district where I was working at that point and helping parents, had created their own term, which was most restrictive environment. So my mentor encouraged me to stick with the actual legal term and correct them when we were discussing things to say, let's talk about the least restrictive environment rather than most restrictive environment. That doesn't actually exist. But that's just one little thing where a school district could come up with their own terms, their own policies, their own things that may actually be in conflict with federal law and federal legal terms.
0: We hope you're enjoying this presentation. At any time, we invite you to go to gemtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.
1: Something that's really important in, in advocacy is The fact that you're going to run into lots of different people with lots of different personalities, and you have to be willing to work with people. It is, you know, most parents, what we want to do is we want to go in and say, this is the law. Give my child what the law demands. It is not that easy, and it's not that straightforward because there's all different kinds of facts. And if you keep in mind that this is an individualized education plan, then you you can recognize there, you have to take into account the individual and their needs. And so it's going to be, it's not just going to be absolutely straightforward. It has to be, there has to be working on both sides. And even though we want to just say, give my child everything that I want them to have, that's not how things play out usually you have to get in there you have to get to know people you have to be respectful you want to be very careful about not losing your temper with people not not gossiping that's you know going around and gossiping with teachers about other teachers that that will not do your child any good you want to be able to be very congenial with the people in the school district and recognize that they are doing the best they can. A lot of times you will end up with a teacher who wants to do, well, let's go back. My mentor, who was my client, who had been a special education teacher, one of the things that she talked to me about was, you know, as a special education teacher, she really wanted to, to get services for her, her students with disabilities, but she was often hindered because of policies from the school district or even mandates from the school district saying, okay, we don't want parents, you know, don't give these services. And you can give these services, but really limiting. And so as a special education teacher, she often felt caught between parents and the school district. And so you need to understand, okay, this this teacher that you're interacting with may not have the power to put in place things that you want to have in place. Don't get angry with them for something that they don't have the power to do. You can work with them so that they will be an advocate for your child. They'll be somebody who will say, yes, I agree this person needs this, this child needs this service, but if if you are mean to them or rude to them they're not going to be that that person for your child. What you need to do as a parent is you create it's like you create a way for for your child to receive services. You let the school district know in key persons why in a very kind way, why it would be very in the very best interests of the school district to do what you are asking them to do. So there are there are state so there's federal, state and local laws that have to do with special education. There are also policies. Google is a great way to find out about your state regulations about federal laws, about letters to colleagues that the federal the um, Department of Education will put out. There's a lot of different um, there's a lot of different things that you can find online. There also are state uh, parent organizations that are designed to help parents advocate for their children. There are certain terms that you want to know as a parent, that are legal terms when you go in, to advocate for your child. For example, usually we think of when we want to advocate for our child, we use terms like, this would help Jimmy develop his full potential. Okay, if you go into an IEP meeting and you use that terminology, you have shot yourself in the foot because federal courts have been very clear that this is, the law is not about developing a child's full potential, okay? So you don't wanna use that language. That's the language we normally, we want to use. You don't use that. What you say is, this is appropriate for my child. If there is something you don't like, you say, this is not appropriate. And then you say why it's appropriate or not appropriate. But that is the kind of language that you use So it's very you have to know when you go in that you are going to use those terms. And if you use terms, if you go in and you say that is not appropriate, I cannot agree to that because that is not an appropriate service for my child. The other IEP team members will sit up and take notice and they will think that, you know, a lot more probably than you do just because of using that particular terminology. Here's something that is important for parents. This is some terminology that you should use when your child acts up in school. You'll, you know, a lot of times a child with a disability will have some sort of a behavior issue that often happens. So maybe your child is, is acting up and has had an incident at school. When, when you get a call about that. You want to use the language, "I believe this is a manifestation of my child's disability." That is very different than saying, "Oh well, he just can't hold still." You, you use manifestation of a disability, and you ask them to do a FUBA, which is a functional behavior analysis of what of, of that incident and that behavior. So you can't, if you know the language and you understand, what they are supposed to do, they can't just say, okay, this, children, this child had some bad behavior, out they go, or we're suspending, or we're doing this, that, or the other. Now, there are caveats on that. Obviously, if, if a child goes to school with a gun or a knife or, you know, endangers somebody or self physically, we, we don't wait around to see if that's a manifestation of a disability. That's an immediate, you know, whoever does that, that's immediate that, you know, they are suspended, but you know, certain other behaviors may be a manifestation of a disability. And then we do a behavior, you know, functional behavior analysis. Let me give you an example. A lot of children with, um, autism, they may have sensory needs. I know a child who will leap out of his desk and run someplace in the room, kind of yelling, you know, just like, ah, okay. That's a manifestation of a disability. That's not bad behavior. And so you wanna make sure that your child isn't being required to do things that they just cannot do. If that child is is required to never get out of his desk and never yell, you know, have a shout out, that child, it's physically incapable, that child is physically incapable of not doing that because that's part of the disability and so Instead of having you know, that be something that the child is punished for, because we say you cannot punish somebody for a manifestation of their disability. Instead, we come up with a behavior intervention plan and we recognize that certain things are just off the board. This child is going to hop up and yell. That's just what he's gonna do. So something that is very important for parents to do is to be involved in their, in their child's education and actually know what is going on in the school. Now, many parents work, and they don't, they don't have a lot of time to go in and volunteer at the school or just go in and observe, but it actually is vital that, that parents be involved at, in some way at the school. And if this means taking work off and you know, taking a day and going in and observing, Whatever it takes, a parent needs to be involved. They need to know what is going on, because otherwise you end up with a situation where you just have to rely on whatever is said by the school. If the school says, you know, this is what's happening. You just have to go with that because you don't know any different. My sister has two children with disabilities, two sons, and they both have autism. And when her older child was in second grade, he started having all sorts of of bad behavior at school. And we could not figure out what it was about. I kept telling her, you need to go in and find out what's happening. You need to go in and observe. He's never had these these outbursts at home. Why is he having them at school? We need to find out. Well, after a you know, a long time, she a couple months into school, she finally things had gotten bad enough that she said, okay, I'm gonna go in. But meanwhile, her, her child who was in kindergarten, she had been being his one-to-one aide, And he was just in a regular, you know, general education, kindergarten class, and she wanted him to have that experience, but he did need a one-to-one aid. And so she told me, okay, I'm gonna go in with this son and observe, but you'll need to go in with my younger son. And I was at a position in my, in my law practice where I could do that. So I went to kindergarten with this nephew for seven months and I was his one to one aid and I got an entire view of how things really are. And when I went to an IEP meeting and the teacher would say something, I was able to say, "Mm, just a minute, this is actually what was happening. And my sister, meanwhile, went to class with her, with her older son, And was able to say oh okay this is why this is happening here I can explain why this behavior is going on because she was able to see you know different things going on but anyway um, you're not gonna generally you're not gonna be able to go in with your child full-time that is that's not an ordinary thing but you can go in and observe or volunteer in their class there's classes often have volunteer opportunities that are just go in and and be in a reading group you know go in you know especially with the lower grades but there are opportunities for you as a parent to go in and be involved and you should take those opportunities Uh, this last year one of my nephews is now in in high school and he has this issue where if you tell him something he believes you. He he takes things very literally. So we had a a teacher who is one of the most fantastic teachers that that my nephew has ever had. He's an amazing, amazing teacher. My nephew got 30% on a test and his teacher told him, good job. And my nephew takes things literally. So he told me I did a good job. (laughs) Okay. He did not do a good job. 30% is not a good job. Okay. And especially for my nephew who has some gifts in, in that subject matter, 30% was not a good job. What he had done was to go through and just, it was a computer test and he just wanted to get to the next thing. And so he had just clicked through and randomly answered questions instead of doing the work, and actually figuring out what the answers really were. But according to what his teacher had said, he had done a good job. This later on, this came up in a meeting, and the teacher said, well, I do this because it's, you know, there's a book about being positive, and you're supposed to be positive with people. But we were able to educate him. In this respect, that with a child with autism, you have to be very careful about what you say to them because they may take you very literally. And if they do, and you're telling them that 30% or 50% is a good job, that's not going to be appropriate for them. Something that one of my my mentors in this area talked to me about, and this was my, my client who had retired from the school district. She shared this experience for me, uh, with me. She shared this experience with me. She had a parent come in and she had told me that when, that she never saw a parent not get what they wanted for their child if they refused to back down. And she gave this example. She'd had a a mother come in and this mother had a, a child with a disability who was really struggling in math. And this mother said, I know that my child could learn math if she could use tangibles. So at this, this was at the high school level, she said, look, there is a closet that backs onto the the commons area. And I want you to take that closet, I want you to cut a hole in that brick wall there and put in a little window. And I want you to, to create a little store. And my daughter will go in during breaks and lunchtime and she will sell tangibles. She'll sell pencils and, you know, erasers and candy. And this is how she's going to learn math. This is what she needs. Well, of course, the school district said, uh, "No, no. <laughs> I mean, we don't we don't cut holes in brick walls. That we don't do that. You know, that's a, a different request." And uh, this mother refused to back down. And the school eventually did cut a hole in that brick wall and they put in a little window and created a little store. Now, what I take from this, this is very interesting because once this had been done, this, it didn't stop with this girl going in and learning math. This was now something that was available for all of the children with disabilities who really needed to have tangibles in order to learn math. And so this this one parent refusing to back down and insisting on a service for her child actually ended up benefiting an entire school. And all of these children, you know, all of the children who had had a disability, they all benefited from that. Now, I look at this and I think, what if that parent had backed down? What if she said, oh, well, okay, it's too hard. I'm not going to insist I'm going to, you know, I'll just give way. You guys know best there. It wasn't just her own child who would have suffered it was all these other children. And this is something that I look at that experience and I take a couple of things from it. The first thing is that I think when I'm, you know, when I'm working with a client and we're asking for a service, I'll sometimes say, Hey, We haven't asked him to cut a hole in a brick wall yet, you know? So, hey, yeah, let's go forward with this. This isn't too out of the way of a request. But another thing that I take from it, and I think it's the strongest thing that I take from it, is that we are in this fight to tear down brick walls. We are here to make things better for not just our own children, but for all children with disabilities. And we do that by pushing forward and resisting and pushing back and not giving up. And I think there's something to be said for, for moving forward. There is, you know, I think back and I realized that 40 years ago, kids with disabilities didn't even have a right to be educated. We have made tremendous strides and we've made those because parents refused to back down and if we keep on pushing there we have a we have a long way to go but I feel like when you feel down and you feel like I can't go forward just do not give up do not give up there are there are great things that we're going to do together you're not alone there are all sorts of parents out there who are striving and trying and together we are going to make this situation better for children with special
0: needs. We hope you have enjoyed this presentation. We now invite you to go to jimtrain.org and gain the additional guidance from this presenter that can help you fully grow and flourish as you gain the skills and confidence to help those you love on the autism spectrum.